History, the bite-sized birthday biography podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a daily podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world who made a positive lasting impact. Today, October 9th, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of Mary Ann Shad. Before we get into the life of Mary Ann Shad, I want to take a second and thank everyone who is following us on Instagram, who is taking the time to send me the names of amazing people in history for the show, uh, people who are listening to us on Spotify or have taken the time to rate us on Apple Podcasts. All of these things are so important for a small, up-and-coming, totally bootstrap, grassroot operation podcast such as this one. It really means a lot to me, and I want to thank you so, so much for it. Uh, so I've been getting some questions about how to nominate people for this show and what the criteria is. The nomination process is as simple as you messaging me a name on our Instagram page, humans underscore in underscore humanity. I can't guarantee that I will use all the entries that I get, but I will definitely research all of them and take them into consideration. In terms of criteria, it's kind of subjective because the idea of putting some good into the world is such a big statement. Good could mean anything from activism to scientific discoveries to just leaving beautiful paintings for future generations to enjoy. So it's it's a really case-by-case basis. And that's why I have to research everyone and see if they would meet the criteria. So um, I do ask that for any suggestion that you send, that it be someone who's not very well known by the general public. So if you learned about them in high school, we're probably not going to feature them on the show. The other day, someone sent me a, a suggestion to cover Malcolm X. I love Malcolm X. I adore him. However, he has already gotten a very large stage, which he totally deserves. But I prefer to look at the people in whatever respective field that haven't had such a large stage. So send me your suggestions. I promise to look them all up. Researching is actually one of my absolute favorite things to do. And I will totally let you know if I decide to use your suggestion and I'll give you a shout out in the show too. So on that note, let's go ahead and jump into the fabulous life of Marianne Shad. So this woman's life was a literal laundry list of accomplishments. She was a teacher. She was an abolitionist, a journalist, an attorney, a publisher, the first female publisher, I might add, in the history of Canada, and the first black female publisher in all of North America. And she was an editor, and not just an editor, but the first female editor in North America. Very notable and interesting woman, and she came from very notable and interesting stock. So let's delve. So Marianne's great-grandfather, John Shad, was a Hessian, meaning that he was a native of Hesh Castle. That's a state in what used to be the Holy Roman Empire between 1567 and 1803, but is now Germany. John was born there. He grew up there. But when the French and Indian War started in the U.S. in 1754, he was recruited by Great Britain as an auxiliary soldier, and he sailed over to the U.S. to engage in combat. Engage he did, and he was seriously wounded. He was too wounded, in fact, to return home, so he was left in the care of an African-American woman and her daughter. They both had the same name, Elizabeth Jackson. John apparently started to feel a bit better as he became the lover of the younger Elizabeth and they married with their first son being born six months later. John and Elizabeth would go on to have more children, one of which was Jeremiah Shad. Jeremiah grew up to to become a butcher in Wilmington, Delaware. Jeremiah also became a father and one of his children was Abraham and Abraham would go on to become Mary's father. 
Abraham worked as a shoemaker in Wilmington, but his most important work was as a conductor on the Underground Railroad and a passionate anti-slavery activist as well, obviously. Abraham did not shield his children from the horrors of slavery, and he allowed their home to be an open refuge for enslaved people on the run, which Mary obviously grew up seeing and was very impacted by. The Shad family knew it was time to move on from Delaware when the state officially banned the education of all black children. The Shad family relocated to Pennsylvania, a state with a high Quaker population. Quakers were usually pretty notoriously anti-slavery, so any area with a high Quaker population usually indicated a haven for people of color, or the very least, less overt abuse and repression. So it wasn't uncommon to see fairly high Quaker populations in proximity to high emancipated people of color um, areas. Mary attends a Quaker boarding school, and when she came back to Eastchester, she opened a school for black children. Then in 1850, America made a huge mistake. They passed the Fugitive Slave Act, and this abominable is the only word that comes to mind, act ensured that any captured enslaved person who had escaped must be returned to their enslavers. Like, literally imagine the worst thing the government could do. This is it. It doesn't get any worse than this. Thankfully, Mary's family was smart enough to be like, okay, U.S., you're obviously going through something, not trying to be a part of it, so we're going to move to Canada because they may have bus-sized moose just roaming around, but at least they're not legalizing the return of torture victims to their abusers. The family settles in Ontario, and Abraham got right to work getting involved, and he became one of the first black men to obtain political office in the country of Canada. Mary continued her work as an educator, and she paired up with the American Missionary Association in Ontario to start an integrated school. She also started something called the Provincial Freeman in 1853 that was the first anti-slavery newspaper in all of Canada, making her also the first female editor in North America. Times being what they were, she knew that people would take her less seriously due to her gender, so she brought on a fellow abolitionist named Samuel Ward to be the male editorial presence. Mary was so pleased by the way Canadians treated people of color, as opposed to the straight-up horrific way Americans did, that she began to openly promote, and she was one of the first people to do so, she began to promote the immigration of black people from the U.S. to Canada. The quality of life there was just better for black people, and Mary used her paper to encourage others to leave a country that had forcibly brought them over as chattel, but wanted nothing to do with them as humans. Her paper was published in Canada, but it was also popular in the northern cities of the U.S. where slavery was illegal. Gonna take a wild guess and guess that it wasn't a hot ticket in the South. But this paper made her the first woman of color to own and publish a newspaper that was distributed in the U.S. What Murray was doing with her newspaper was revolutionary in a few ways. First, she was encouraging people of color to leave America and find a better life in Canada, which for some black people would be the first time they ever left one country for another voluntarily. Second, she was writing a paper for people of color. This was not aimed at white people, as 99% of periodicals and papers were at that time in North America. Third, by creating a newspaper for people of color, it sent the message that black people have desires and wishes and interests and concerns. This sounds, of course, asininely obvious today, but the systematic reductionism that was applied to African Americans boiled them down to people of simple minds, simple wants, and simple needs, who were best utilized in the service of their betters, meaning white people. So to create literature and journalism for the black community was to acknowledge the complexity and the character of each human. It was important, it was necessary, and it was revolutionary at the time. 
Fourth, she was flying blind. She had no experience or any college training. She had no degree in journalism. She had to purchase all of her own equipment herself as no established, aka white, paper would take her on. And she was writing for an audience of mostly emancipated enslaved people who had been systematically denied access to education and were therefore mostly illiterate. Lastly, she was creating a space for black voices. White papers at the time, even abolitionist ones, were not interviewing black people or soliciting op-eds from them. White anti-slavery journalism was moving in the right direction, but the idea of handing the pen to the actual victims of enslavement was just not being done in those days. There are actually a few of these surviving newspapers um, from that era today. Each edition is four pages with one blank page, so whoever read it first could write notes and thoughts and information on it before handing it off to the next person. It was not uncommon for a single newspaper to make its way through a whole family or sometimes even a whole neighborhood. It served as another way to connect communities of color. In 1856, Mary married Thomas Carey. <laughs> Mary married Thomas Carey, a barber who was also involved with the paper. Within the first three years, they would have two children, Sarah and Linton. Sadly, Thomas died just four years after they married in 1860 while Mary was pregnant with their second child. There isn't any info on what he died of, just some notes that he had ongoing health issues even when they married. Um, he could have possibly had tuberculosis. That was a pretty common chronic ailment at the time, and it caused the deaths of a lot of people. After Thomas's death, Mary could not afford to keep the paper afloat and it closed. As the Civil War began, Mary and her two toddlers bravely chose to return to the United States. During the Civil War, Mary supported the Union by working as a recruiting officer for black volunteers in Indiana, making her the first female woman of color to work as a recruiter. At the end of the war, she moved to Washington, D.C. She worked as a school teacher for a bit before starting law school at Howard University, graduating with her law degree at age 60 in 1883. This made her the second female African-American attorney in the country. Some sources have her as the first, but that honor actually belongs to Charlotte Ray, who graduated law school in 1872. We're going to be learning about Charlotte on January 13th. Mary dedicated the last decade of her life to journalism. She wrote for the National Era newspaper and the People's Advocate. She was also fighting for women's rights. She joined the National Women's Suffrage Association. She organized the Colored Women's Progressive Franchise, and she became the first black woman to vote in a national election. Mary passed away from stomach cancer at the age of 69 on June 5, 1893, in Washington, D.C. Her brick row home there is now a national historic landmark. She was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1998, named a Women's History Month honoree by the National Women's History Project in 1987, and named a person of national historic significance by Canada. My sources today were the Library of Congress, the National Women's Hall of Fame, and the National Park Service. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Mary Ann Shad. Please join me tomorrow when we celebrate the birth and life of Dr. Frederick D. Patterson, founder of the United Negro College Fund. See you then. Thank you.